Well, good morning. I, I think you ought to have fun in church, so I'd like you to stand up. If you don't mind if I just stand up, I'm going to do something a little special for you this morning, okay? I don't know that I've ever done this since I was a kid, but uh, just, you know, in, just in celebration of the fall and some other things, I'm going to, just for briefly, I'm going to sing. And I don't think I've done this since I was a kid. And this song just came to me a while ago, so listen to the words carefully. I'll be brief. You ready? Good old Rocky Flop, Rocky Flop, Tennessee. Woo! All right, you can be seated. Thank you very much. I've been wanting to do that for years, and I just wanted to do it. Okay, you are watching by television. You're at our Mill Creek campus. You're watching online. You're at our Sugarloaf campus. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, let me confess something. When I was called into the ministry, unlike a lot of people, I wasn't a real happy camper. Uh, I struggled with it. I, I actually ran from it. And one of the reasons why is because, contrary to what some people think about it being a cushiony job, I realized that if I went into the ministry, there would be some things that I would have to give up that you don't have to give up. Now, understand that there are a lot of perks that come with being a minister, and I'm grateful for them. And I've learned that the blessings far outweigh the burdens, and, and I'm thankful for what I do. Let me just give you one example. Anybody that's listening to me right now, if you want to, you can decide on Friday, I think I'll go to the mountains for the weekend. Or you can decide, I think I'll take the weekend and we'll go to the lake. Or, hey, Labor Day's coming up. Let's take the kids. Let's run down to Florida three or four days. I don't have that luxury. I, I, I just can't up and just take off on a weekend. I, I, I can't do that because, actually, my biggest work day is today. And, and if there's one time I've got to be in the church and need to be in church, it's today. So unlike you, I can't get up on Sunday. I mean, I stayed up kind of a little bit late watching the game last night, and I got, didn't get in bed as early as I normally do, and I get up very early on Sunday. Well, unlike you, I can't decide, you know, I think I'll just sleep in today. That's, that's a, something you can do. I can't do. I also knew that I would give up a, a measure of anonymity if I went into the ministry that, that a lot of you have, because the truth of the matter is, if you are a pastor particularly, you do live in a fishbowl. It's hard to go anywhere around uh, our city and where I live that somebody every day doesn't recognize me. I don't mean I'm a celebrity. I don't mean that, you know people are flocking to see me, but you know it's very, very rare that I don't go to the mall or I don't go out to a restaurant. Somebody, somewhere, either because they attend our church, attend one of our campuses, read one of my books, watch us on TV, see us online, now somebody doesn't recognize me. Something can happen in your family, I will never know about it. Something big happens in my family, it gets around, okay? That's just the way that it is. Well, there's something I learned early in ministry that I realized, you know what? I've got to give, give up some two other things that are huge, and I've got to get them up on a daily basis. But this has turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life because there are two problems that I believe probably do the greatest psychological, emotional, and spiritual damage to everybody that I've ever met or anybody I've ever met, and you have to learn to deal with them properly or they will both ruin your life. One is guilt, and the other is bitterness. They will absolutely ruin your life, and I'm going to be honest. I'm in the same boat you're in. I've got to deal with these continuously. These are battles that are never, ever over. These are battles that never end. And I've got to fight and win them on a daily basis. Now, let me tell you why 
I have to really be in the game here. Because one of the biggest parts of what I've been called to do is to help you deal with guilt. And one of the biggest things I've been called to do is to help you deal with bitterness. And it's impossible for me to help you deal with guilt if you've done something wrong, if I'm swimming in guilt because I've done something wrong. And it's impossible if I, for me to help you deal with being bitter towards someone who's done you wrong if I'm stewing in bitterness over someone that's done me wrong. And see, in a way, guilt and bitterness are two sides of the same coin. Guilt comes when we do something wrong to someone else and we refuse to get forgiveness. Bitterness comes when someone has done something wrong to us and we refuse to give forgiveness. But guilt and forgiveness are prisons. They're, they're like jailhouses. And, and too many people live their life every day. Some of you do. You walked into this building this morning. You're looking through the gate of guilt. You're looking through the bars of bitterness. And the only key that will unlock either one of those doors is the key of forgiveness. Now, if you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series in the book of Ephesians that we've been calling unbelievable because the first half of the book tells us we worship an unbelievable God who has done unbelievable things for us. Then in the second half of the book, where we are now, we find out that God wants to do unbelievable things through us. And so today we're in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And if you, some of you, many of you have this little, we call it a, the year of the, this is the year of the disciple. This is a discipleship book. So if you want to look on with us today and take notes, it's on page 32 in your book. But we're in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And there are two powerful verses where a man by the name of Paul tells us how we can be free from the bondage of bitterness and the grip of guilt. And let me tell you why I know we need to hear this message. Let me tell you why I know I'm going to strike some nerves today. There was a study that was done uh, in the Journal of Adult Development. It found, now listen to this, this really blew me away. 75% of the people surveyed said they believe God has forgiven them of all the things they have ever done wrong. 75%. But only 52% say they have forgiven others for what they have done wrong to them. Gets worse. Even fewer, 43%, say they've actively sought forgiveness for something wrong they've done to someone else. And all of this raises a question. Why is forgiveness so hard? Why is forgiveness such a difficult thing? Because look, let's be honest. This is true for me. Forgiveness doesn't come naturally. It's not just one of those things you get up and you can't wait to do. And it rarely comes easily. Now, it may be because of what the word means. The word forgiveness literally means to let go. It literally means to send away. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, it's a financial term that refers to the cancellation of a debt. So here's what happens. Somebody hurts you. Somebody does you wrong. Somebody leaves you holding the short end of the stick. Well, when they do, they're in your debt. They owe you. They've hurt you. They've done you wrong. They are in your debt. And forgiveness is simply the, will, simply the willingness on your part to write off the debt, to cancel the debt. I mean, even saying it, you'd have to admit, man, that just sounds so hard to do. 
It's the willingness to look at someone who owes you. They do owe you. They know they owe you. You know they owe you. They know you know they owe you. And yet you look at them just the same and you simply say, you know what? You just don't owe me anymore. I'm deciding to cancel the debt. And the reason why it's so hard is because forgiveness costs. It's very costly. There are no bargain pardons. There's no prime day for forgiveness. There's no Black Friday deal for forgiveness. As a matter of fact, remember what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? He said, forgive us our debts. That is, when we do wrong to somebody and we owe them, as we do, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, people who've done wrong to us and they owe us. Because here's the point. Sin is a debt. Wrong is a debt. When you sin against somebody, you owe them. When they do you wrong, they, do, they owe you. And the only thing that pays off the debt of sin is forgiveness. But here's the problem. When somebody's forgiven, somebody has paid. There's no such thing as forgiveness where there is no cost. I, years ago, I don't think I've ever told you this, but years ago, um, I got a call from a man who I had not heard from in uh, 25 years. He was a member of a church where I served as a youth pastor. He had become dear friends with me. And matter of fact, he was one of the guys that helped me and Teresa get together. And, uh, you know, I, I considered him a good friend. Well, I hadn't heard from this guy in over 25 years. Out of the blue, I get a call from this guy. And um, we talked for a while. And he said, look, he's the reason I'm calling. He said, I, I need to borrow some money. And I'd heard this guy in 25 years. He said, I need to borrow some money. And it was a good, for me, it was a big sum of money. For me, it was a big sum of money. And he said, I, I need to borrow some money. And I said, sure. And he said, look, he said, I've I'm, I'm got a big check coming in in about three weeks. In about three weeks, I, I'll give you a call and I'll pay you back. I said, that's fine. So uh, I, I loaned him the money. And, and frankly, I mean, it was a stretch, but I loaned him the money. And so three weeks went by, four weeks went by, five weeks went by, six weeks went by, two months go by. I hadn't heard a word from this guy. So I called him. Well, guess what? He's changed his number, and I can't get a hold of him. Can I be honest? I got bitter. I got angry. I said, first of all, I mean, you know, if you're going to do that, don't do it to a pastor, right? I mean, I'm kind of doing the pastor thing, right? It's okay if he does it to you, but I'm a pastor, man. I'm a man of the cloth, you know? And, and, and that's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you what, being honest with you. And I thought, good gosh, I mean, we've been friends all these years. I haven't heard a word from you in two and a half decades. Now I loan you the money, and now I can't even get a hold of you. And I'm going to have to be honest with you. For about three or four days, I carried that in my heart. But this is why it's hard to be in the ministry. Because Sunday's coming. i got to preach. So guess what God's telling me on Saturday night? You can go up there and talk if you want to talk and speak if you want to speak. But if you want my power on your life, you got to get this out of your heart. Now, can I tell you what I told the Lord? I don't want to get this out of my heart. You ever told the Lord that? I don't want to get this out of my heart. He owes me, Lord, and you know he owes me. But you know, it's, the Lord never debates. He just says, if you want my power, you got to forgive him. And I had to do something. It was hard. But that night, I'm, I'm just telling you, 
That night, in fact, I told Teresa, I said, you know what? Forget it. This man doesn't owe us any more. I'm not carrying this with me anymore. And that night, literally, I took it to the Lord, and I got rid, rid of my resentment, and I got rid, rid of my bitter feelings. Now, let me just be honest. My forgiveness didn't cost him anything. It cost me a good sum of money. You say, yeah, that's, that's the hard part. Yeah, here's the better part. You know what else it did? You ready for this? It made me debt-free. It got me out of debt. I don't think about it anymore. I really don't. I don't worry about it anymore. I don't carry the burden of it anymore. And I, before I say what I'm about to say to you this morning, you're looking at a man that as of today is debt-free. As of today, there's no known guilt in my life. I don't know of anything I've done wrong to anyone that I've not asked forgiveness for. I don't have any bitterness toward anybody that's ever done me wrong, including this brother. I really mean that. So my question to you is, how many of you need to become debt-free? free today. And if you're tired of living in the jailhouse and the prison house of guilt and bitterness, Paul gives us three pieces of advice that work 100% of the time. You ready? Number one, you've got to release bitterness. You have got to release bitterness. Now, we're in Ephesians 4. Paul comes right out of the gate. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't pull punches. He says, look, if you are tired of being a slave to the master of bitterness, if you're tired of being an inmate in the prison of bitterness, the first thing you've got to do if you want to get free, you've got to release your bitterness. So here's his first piece of advice. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, what Paul has done, if you really think it through, he's just described all the range of emotions and feelings that bitter people have. If you're here today and you're honest enough to admit, yeah, I'm bitter. There's someone I'm bitter toward. I'm carrying a grudge with me every day of my life. If you'll think it through, this is exactly what you're going through. First of all, the gasoline that keeps the fire of bitterness burning is rage and anger. You see. You stew over that hurt that someone has done to you. Then it spills over in brawling and slander. You know how you know you're bitter towards someone? Because you're always talking about it. You're talking to other people. Let me, you won't believe what that person did to me. You won't believe what she did to me. You won't believe how that person mistreated me. Then it leads to malice. You say, what is malice? That's all the hurtful, harmful things that you wish would happen to that other person. Don't look holy like, like you know what I'm talking about. You say, well, so what do you do? Paul says, uh, get rid of it. Get, get rid of it. Now, let me just stop right there. Some of you right now could fry an egg on your head right now. You're saying, that's it? That, that, that's all he's got? Just get rid of it? Just drop it? As a matter of fact, the Greek word there for get rid of, it, are, it literally means to remove yourself from, to separate yourself from. Here's a great illustration. Have you ever, how many of you ever walked into a spider's web? You ever done that? What do you do in the minute you walk into a spider's web? You're doing everything you can to get rid of that spider's web. When you walk into a spider's web, you've got one goal in your life. That one goal is... Anything that feels like a spider web, you get it off. That's the idea Paul says here. Get it off. 
Get it off quick. Get all of it off. Now, I realize that may not seem real, seem real helpful at first. It may even make you angry. You might even be sitting there saying, boy, Paul, you, you don't really have a good bedside manner. I mean, how cold, how blunt, how, 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 how unfeeling, how unsympathetic. Just get rid of it. That's all you're telling me. Well, what he's actually doing is he's doing you a favor. Because if you think about it, let me ask you this. What other option do you have? And by the way, it wasn't easy for Paul to write this because remember, he's writing from a prison. It's kind of interesting. He's in prison trying to tell us how to get out of prison. He's writing from a prison. He's been unjustly incarcerated. He's been unfairly treated. He's eventually going to lose his life just for telling the truth. And yet, you can look with a microscope or a telescope. You won't find any bitterness, any rage, any malice, any unresolved anger, or any ill will in his heart. What Paul is saying is this. I know how to get out of jail. I'm telling you how to get out of jail. And his advice is just straightforward. So this is my advice to you. It's his advice to you. Anybody here today, you got any bitter feelings toward anybody right now? If the answer is yes, okay, you ready? Get rid of them. Are you still mad or ticked off at somebody because they really messed you over? Okay, walk away from it. You still find yourself in your mind hanging people by their toenails in a vacet of hot acid. Move it, drop it, move on. Listen, bitterness can not only ruin your life, listen to me, bitterness can not only ruin your life, it can actually follow you to the grave after you're dead. I, I read the other day, this, this is a true story. There was a 94-year-old lady. Her name was Hazel Von Jecky. Back in the day, we, she would have been called an old maid, and that's not politically correct to say today, but she would have been called an old maid because she never got married. 94 years old, she never married. Well, she died at her funeral. Her pastor felt it was necessary to put a note in the order of service because she made a very unusual request. When this woman died, she left very specific handwritten instructions for her service. She said, these are the songs that I want sung. These are the scriptures that I want you to read. But these were her final instructions. She said there would be no male pallbearers. They wouldn't take me out when I was alive. I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. Now, the only day, way to deal with bitterness, you got to release it. You got to get rid of it. Now, and please understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say just randomly let it go or arbitrarily let it go. I'm not talking about it's like some balloon, you just cut the string and it floats away. When I say release it, here's what I mean release it to God. Let God carry the weight of that hurt that somebody did to you. Trust God to deal with that other person. Relax your grip on that grudge you've been carrying. Drop that burden of bitterness you, that's been weighing you down. Because think about this. Listen to this. If God can handle the, all the wrong things you've done to him, don't you think God can handle all the wrong things somebody does to you? So, number one, release your bitterness. That Saturday night in my home, I said, Lord, that man owes me, but no longer. He doesn't owe me. He's done me wrong, but it's done. I'm releasing that man. I'm releasing him to you. Release your bitterness. That's step one. 
Here's step two. Render forgiveness. Render forgiveness. This is real simple. It's not hard. Release bitterness. Render forgiveness. Because the only way you'll ever be free to forgive, you've got to be freed from being bitter. So here's what bitterness does. It puts you in the handcuffs of hatred. You don't even realize it right now, but if you're bitter, this is the way you walk around every day of your life. You're in handcuffs of hatred. It's got you locked in. It's got you locked up. And until you are free to forgive, you won't forgive. But when you release bitterness, when you say, okay, finally, I am letting this go. I am dropping this burden. At that moment, you are free. You can render forgiveness. So Paul goes on to say this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now, I love that word, compassionate. It's actually a, a physiological term. It's a medical term. It refers to the inside of the body. And what it literally means, it means tenderhearted. Be tenderhearted. I'm not a cardiologist, but there's only two kinds of hearts in this room. Tough hearts and tender hearts. The only kind there is. Tough hearts, tender hearts. See, you have a kind heart, an unkind heart. You've got a tender heart or you've got a tough heart. You've got a soft heart or you've got a hard heart. And the reason why Paul says this is because he says, you know what? You can't be kind and bitter at the same time. You, you, you can't be compassionate and bitter at the same time. You can't be tenderhearted and bitter at the same time. You know, I was reading this verse when I was working on this message, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I bet you'll, I bet you'll believe this. Is, I bet you'll say, you know, I agree with that. I have met bitter people in my life. You've met bitter people in your life. I have never met a kind, tenderhearted, bitter person. I've met a lot of bitter people, but I've never met a kind, tenderhearted, bitter person in my life. So Paul is setting us up for the next step of forgiveness. Now, let me just stop right here, okay? I realize I'm talking right now to people. You're in bondage to the, matter, to the, to the master of bitterness. And you may think you've got good reasons. You, you may be bitter toward God because of a tragedy that happened in your life, and he didn't keep it from happening. You may be bitter to this day toward a spouse who left you for another person, made you a single parent raising children on your own. You may be bitter toward a company that, that fired you with no severance even though you served them faithfully for many years. You may be bitter toward someone who physically or sexually abused you and they've never admitted it and they'll never be brought to justice. They'll never go to jail for it. You may be bitter, be bitter toward a father who never gave you any approval you may be bitter toward a mother who never affirmed her love for you. You may be bitter toward the church because you had a bad experience and the church didn't really act like the way, the, the way a church ought to act and you're bitter toward the church. Listen, let me be honest. There's someone in my life right now and I am convinced their hobby is to see how much they can hurt me. I really believe that's their number one goal in life. And every chance this person gets, they stick it to me. It happened just recently. Every chance they get to hurt me, they hurt me. And so I'm with you. I constantly have to steer clear of the prison of bitterness. And what bitterness starts, only forgiveness can end. 
Because if you refuse to forgive someone who's done you wrong, here's the problem. You're not keeping that person who sinned locked in a prison of bitterness. You're keeping yourself locked in a prison of bitterness. Because let me ask you a question. Who do you think is paying for your bitterness? You are. <laughs> You're the one losing sleep. They're not. You're the one who's developed ulcers. They're not. You're the one who can't even enjoy life because you're always living under the searing heat of bitterness. They're not. You're the one that's miserable. They're not. You're the one that's always thinking about what they've done to you. They're not. But you see, here's what bitterness is. Bitterness plays a big trick. You know what bitterness says? Yeah, but wouldn't it be great to get even? Wouldn't it just be just, don't you just want to get even? Have you ever thought about what that means? Now think about this. Think about how dumb this is. If somebody has done wrong to you, they're not above you. They're beneath you, right? So think about this. You say, I want to get even. You're not going higher. You're going lower. You're not getting ahead of them. You're actually getting behind them. You're not bringing them up to your level. You're going down to their level. And I know what you're sitting there saying. You say, well, so pastor, you just want me to let them off the hook. Oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> Here's the point. They're not on the hook. You are. You're the one on the hook. Their guilt has become the fuel for your bitterness. And in a way, what you're doing to yourself is worse than what they've done to you. See, here's what happens when you, when you finally forgive someone. You actually set two people free. You set the person free uh, you, that you forgive. You set them free from owing you. And then you set yourself free from having to collect from them. So this guy that used to owe me money, he didn't owe me anymore. I don't have to worry about how can I get that money? How can I find his phone number? How can I find out where he lives? How can I get my money back? I don't think about that anymore. I'm not in that prison anymore. I'm not in that bondage anymore. So I freed him and I freed me. And see, this is what God's forgiveness does. God's forgiveness sets us free from the prison of guilt. And then our forgiveness of others sets us free from the prison of bitterness. And let me just tell you something, folks. There's nothing like being debt-free. I'm a satisfied customer. I, I can still remember the day I paid off my student loans. Now, God bless those of you who have student loans today because I don't have, I didn't have anywhere near the student loans that people have today. In fact, you want to hear something funny? The tuition when I went to college, where I went to college down in Florida, my tuition was $2,000 a year. You know what it is today? Fifty. Okay, so I, 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 so I didn't really have a lot of student loans, but I can tell you it was still a wonderful day when I finally paid off my student loans. You know, just recently, after years of hard work, and, and, and thanks to my sweet Teresa and the way she manages money, we paid our house off. And, and I just want to tell you, there's nothing like being debt-free. But being debt-free financially cannot compare to being debt-free emotionally and psychologically and spiritually. That's what happens when you render forgiveness, when you release bitterness and you render forgiveness, all of a sudden, you're debt-free. But there's a result of all this, and this is the best part. Because here's what really happens. When you release bitterness, you give it to God, 
and you render forgiveness, you cancel the debt. Here's what happens. You reproduce godliness, okay? You reproduce godliness. Now look, you will never release bitterness. I, I can talk to you like I'm blue in the face. There's some of you right now, if you don't hear what I'm about to say, you're gonna walk in the same way you walked in because I get it. I'm not standing up here. I wanna make something again very plain. What I'm asking you to do is not easy. It's not. What I'm asking you to do is very costly and you've gotta pay the price. I get that. But I'm telling you right now, you will never release your bitterness and you'll never render forgiveness until you really want to do that because I understand that forgiveness is all about motivation. Now again, Paul is like a master psychologist. He says, you know what? I'm not only gonna tell you what you need to do, I'm gonna tell you why you need to do it. I told you, I think, last week. Every great leader I've ever read said, the way to motivate people to get them to do what you want them to do is to show them why they need to do it. Not just how to do it, but why. So Paul plays the trump card, ready? Here's the trump card. He says, forgiving each other, and then boom, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here's the motivation why you ought to forgive anybody, why you must forgive everybody that's done you wrong. Just as God has forgiven you. God's forgiveness is both the model for and the motivation of forgiveness. So here's my, here's my point. You say, okay, so tell me, Pastor, why should I drop this bitterness I've been carrying? Why should I get rid of this grudge? Why should, this, why should I just write the debt off? Why should I just walk away from it? Why should I just move on with my life? Because God has forgiven you. That is exactly what God has done for you. And you know the way you ought to forgive others? You ought to forgive others the way God has forgiven you. If I were to ask you this question right now, do you believe that God has forgiven you for all of your sins? If you're a true believer, you'd raise your hands. You'd say, oh, I, I do, Pastor. I believe God has forgiven me. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? How has God forgiven you? Well, in, in what way has God forgiven you? Because when you read the scripture, you read what God has to say. God says, hey, let me tell you exactly how I have forgiven you. You ready? First of all, God has forgiven us. I'm looking. Okay. Oh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Forgive me, guys. I messed up. All right, let me give you the secret on how to release bitterness and render forgiveness. Okay, watch this. Listen, you stop focusing on what others have done to you, and you start focusing on what God has done for you. See, the litmus test, here, here, this, this is important. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, God has forgiven me. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I know the Lord. Oh, yes, one thing to say, yeah, I have been, quote, unquote, say, listen, the litmus test of whether or not you've really experienced the peace and forgiveness of God in your heart is this. Do you have the willingness to extend that same forgiveness to others from your heart? Because we're never more like God than when we forgive. When we release bitterness and we render forgiveness, we reproduce godliness. And the simple reason why you ought to be a forgiving person it's because you are a forgiven person. You know why? Only forgiven people are motivated to forgive people. Only forgiven people are motivated to forgive people and to be forgiving people. 
Forgiveness personally received can't be forgiveness personally refused. In other words, forgiveness experience must become forgiveness expressed. See, God's not just the motivation for forgiveness. He is the model. Now, now I get to what I was going to say a while ago. We are to forgive just as God has forgiven us. Well, how has God forgiven us? All right, he's forgiven us in three ways. Ready? First of all, freely. God's forgiven us freely. Question. You say you've been forgiven by God. I say I've been forgiven by God. What did God charge you for his forgiveness? Somebody tell me. Nothing. What did you pay for God to forgive you? Nothing. God forgave you freely. He didn't charge you. He didn't charge me. Oh, he did charge somebody. Who did he charge? Yeah, he charged Jesus. But Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus paid for what we did. See, here's where we are. Sometimes... We want to forgive the principle of the crime only after we've collected the interest of revenge. That's not the way it works. True forgiveness is free. No strings attached, no conditions, no fine print at the bottom of the contract. God forgives us freely. Here's the second way God forgives us. Fully. God forgives us fully. Forgiveness is not fractional. What if God this morning decided James, there's one part of one fraction of one iola, iota, of one scintilla, of one molecule, of one sin that I'm not going to forgive. You know what would happen? I'd be sunk. I'd be sunk. I would not have eternal life. But when God forgives us, he not only forgives all of our sins, plural, he forgives all of our sin, singular. So when you forgive someone, number one, you got to forgive them freely. Number two, you've got to forgive them fully. But then, God forgives us finally. Finally. When you cancel a debt, the debt is gone. The ledger is empty. There's nothing in a file cabinet. To forgive a wrong means for you the wrong is gone. That means you don't hold a grudge. You don't bring the sin back up. You wipe the slate clean. Now, people say, does that mean you forget it? No, it doesn't mean you forget it. You can never totally forget a serious wrong. I get that. You can't forget it, but here's what you can do. You can bury it. You can walk away from it. You can never bring it up again. And so here's where we are. This is why for some of you, this has been a hard message. I get it. Because some of you right now need to make a decision right now what you're gonna do. Some of you, need to get forgiveness for what you've done to others. Some of you need to give forgiveness for what others have done to you. And the only place you'll do that, I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, it won't happen in this church. It won't happen in your house. It won't happen in my office. The only place this will happen is at the foot of the cross of the one who died for your guilt and died for your bitterness. See, when you come to the cross, you can take your guilt, give it to him, he'll forgive you. Then you can take your guilt, 
to the one you've wronged and ask for, for forgiveness. Then you can take your bitterness to the one who had every right to be bitter, but he wasn't. And you can leave the wrong that was done and the person who did it with him, and you can walk away from both of them. So let me just tell you, I, I thought I, this is one of the greatest books I've ever read. I recommend books from time to time. I got a book about, it's been about four or five years ago. One of the, I don't know if I've ever done this with another book, ever. I don't, really don't know it. When I say I couldn't put this book down, I read this book in two days, and it's a big, thick book. I got it one afternoon. I stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning, one, one, one morning, and I stayed up about 2 o'clock in the morning. Couldn't, I literally couldn't put the book down. And I'm telling you, you need to buy this book and read it. But I warn you, you won't get a lot of sleep because you can't put it down. The title of the book is Unbroken. It's the story of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was captured as a prisoner of war in Japan. He was a world-famous Olympian. Well, when the head of the prison camp in Japan, his name was Watanabe, he was nicknamed the Birdman. When the Birdman found out who this guy was, a world-famous Olympian and a decorated soldier, he decided he would pour all of his wrath and all of his hatred and all of his torture on Zamperini. So for year after year after year, he made life a living hell 24-7 for Louis Zamperini. Zamperini grew to hate this man more than he cared for his own life and his own freedom. And even though he survived his captivity physically, he did not survive it emotionally. When he came home, he began to drink. He was consumed with hatred for the Birdman so much that every night he would dream the same thing over and over and over, except it had a little different twist. How would he torture this man? How would he brutalize this man? How would he kill this man? And every single night, that's the way he slept. He would dream about the bird man. And he would dream. One night, he'd cut his head off. One night, he'd dip him in acid. One night, he'd pull toenails out of him. One night, he'd been just terrible, horrible things he wanted to do. He was consumed with killing this man. Well, Billy Graham came to Los Angeles, 1947, crusade. A couple who knew him and his wife invited them to the crusade. He didn't want to go, but his wife said, let's go hear him. Louis went to that crusade that night, and when, Doc, when Billy Graham asked people to respond by being for, asking for forgiveness and, and coming to Christ, he got so angry at Dr. Graham, he got up and ran out the back. It was in a tent. He ran out the back of the tent, and when his wife got home, she walked in and she said, where did you go? He said, I don't want to go back to hear that man. She said, well, I'm going back. She said, as a matter of fact, I went forward and I gave my life to Christ. He was really hot then. He was really ticked. She said, I'm going back. I gave my life to Christ. Well, the next night, she didn't invite him, but he said, okay, I'll go back. Zamperini went back that night and heard Dr. Graham preach the gospel and he said, I couldn't even help myself. This night, he ran down to the front, first guy down there, and he gives his life to Christ. I mean, he was radically, gloriously saved. He experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God. But that's not where the story ends. Decades later, listen to this, Louis was asked to return to Japan to carry the Olympic torch for the United States. 
Well, he wondered if this brutal prison camp warden, Watatambi, was alive, and he found out that he was alive. And as he thought and prayed through this visit, he sat down at his computer, and he wrote this letter. To Mitsuhiro Watanabe. As a, result, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate you with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952. I was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. That's another big part of the story. I asked them about you and was told that you probably committed Harry Carey, which was sad to hear. But at that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would become a Christian. He folded the letter, carried it to Japan, asked to meet with Watanabe. But when CBS contacted this man and asked if Zapri could come and see him, with gritted teeth and anger in his face, he practically spit out the word, no. Let them know the man got what he deserved. If I had to do it over again, I would do it again. Someone took the letter from Louie. They got it to Watanabe, but he never replied to it. Those two men are now dead. But only one of them died debt-free. Through Jesus, you can have the debt of guilt and bitterness canceled from both ends. You can be free from the grip of guilt. You can be free from the bondage of bitterness. It's the only way to live, and it's the only way to die. And as I get into this last part of this invitation, let me just say this. We're going to pray. Life's too short to go through it with guilt, to refuse to get forgiveness when you've done something wrong. Life is definitely too short to go through it with bitterness. Try to keep people on the hook when you're the one on the hook. Try to keep people in your prison when you're the one in the prison. Too short. Some of you need to let that grudge go. But you think life's too short? Let me just say this. If you refuse to give your life to Jesus Christ. You'll spend eternity with the guilt of the sin that you could have been forgiven of. And you'll spend eternity bitter that you didn't accept God's free gift of forgiveness. There's only one way to live. And there's only one way to die. And there's only one way to spend eternity. And that is debt free. Let's pray together.